Good morning, everyone. It's, it's, it's my kids. It's their first day at church since we got home. So, yeah. So, they're still figuring out this whole wait, I have to go to kids' church? Like, daddy's up there. I want to go where daddy is. And so, for those of you who are not aware, uh, my wife and I adopted three children this summer from Hungary and got home about six weeks ago. And uh, it's been an insane uh, three months of our lives, but really good. Insane in a lot of ways. Insanely hard, insanely good. Um, and so, it's there. What's that? That's, that's right. Um, but yeah, so we're excited that, that they're able to kind of join us this morning. Uh, so we are in week three of a short series called Habits of a Healthy Church. So uh, as, we've, as you've heard us state numerous times already, our mission is, is to glorify God by helping people know Jesus and make Him known in D.C. and around the world. And so what we're doing over these four weeks is we're talking about our, our, our strategy as a church or the rhythms. These are the things that we believe we see in Scripture that we need to be doing on a regular basis if we're going to fulfill that mission. So you'll see in this graphic behind me, uh, our strategy is to equip, serve, pray, and go. We believe that a healthy church will do those four things on a regular basis. So in week one, we talked about equip which is teaching disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. And we, we talked about the ways at Pillar DC that we're trying to equip disciples to become faithful followers of Jesus. And then last week, we talked about going. We talked about how we aim to send and support missionaries and church planters, both locally here and globally around the world. And we talked about the ways that we do that. Both of those things are essential, equipping and serving. If we're going to know Jesus and make him known, and this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about the necessity of devoting ourselves to desperate, confident prayer. We believe that, and I think Scripture is very clear, that prayer is absolutely essential in the life of a Christian. It's, you could even say, if you, as you read Scripture, it's as essential as breathing for the Christian. If we don't abide in Christ through prayer, we can't know Him or make Him known, and yet, I speak so, so often with so many Christians who routinely lament that prayer is a weakness in their life. And I can raise my hand and testify that there are many times where I feel the exact same way. I feel like prayer is a weakness in my life. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever wished you were more mature in your prayer life? I think a lot of us have. Have you ever felt this sense that you're falling short? You're not doing enough. That I, like, I just feel like I'm falling short in my prayer life. Well, if you are, you are in good company. Because the disciples of Jesus certainly seemed to have felt that way also. In Luke chapter 11, they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. So clearly, as they saw Jesus going away to pray, they knew Jesus was praying in a way that they were unfamiliar with. And so they go to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. We, we want to pray like that, but we feel like we're falling short. And so Jesus, in Luke 11, verses 2 to 13, Jesus gives his response to their request. Lord, teach us to pray. And in his response, Jesus gives a model for what to pray in verses 2 to 4. And then he follows that up with two encouragements to remember about prayer in verses 5 to 13. So this morning we're going to read Luke 11, 1 to 13, and we're going to see uh, what Jesus' model for prayer is and then look at those two encouragements. So uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Luke 11, um, 1 to 13. Uh, if you don't have a physical Bible, you could maybe pull it up on a Bible app on your phone or something like that. 
So I'm going to read these 13 verses and then I'll pray and then we'll jump in uh, to the message. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Let's pray. God, what an incredible invitation we have before us this morning to come to you as our father who cares for us who wants to meet our needs who invites us to come boldly into his presence so i'm coming before you right now father in jesus's name and i'm asking for your help help me to preach help me to teach your word i apart from you i can do nothing There's nothing I can do to to change anyone's life here. God, only you can transform our lives. Only you can transform our hearts. God, we come before you and we're pleading with you this morning that you would work in our lives and minister to our hearts in the way that only you can. I pray that your kingdom would come in our lives and the lives of people this morning. I pray that your name would be hallowed in the lives of every single person here this morning, that we would come to know you as you truly are and come to worship you and revere you and love you as you deserve. Lord, I pray that as we sit under the teaching of your word, that that we would have humble hearts, receptive hearts, and that you would truly teach us how to pray this morning. We need your help. We can't even pray in our own strength. We desperately need you for everything. So please come and and be with us, God. Please build up your people. Build up the saints in this room this morning. And I plead with you, God, that if there's, I know there's people in here in a room this side. There are people here this morning that don't have a saving relationship with you. They are not walking with you right now. They're, they're, They're walking in the ways of the world. They're living in sin. I pray this morning that you'd be merciful to them, that you'd convict them of sin and draw them to yourself, that they'd see how merciful and good and gracious you are, God. And that they would come to you and turn from their sin and trust in Jesus today and have freedom 
salvation. We love you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I want to walk through Jesus's model prayer that he gives here, and then we're going to finish by looking at those two encouragement that Jesus, encouragements that Jesus gives about prayer. So in response to the disciples' question, Jesus started by teaching them what to pray for. He gives them this prayer that we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. It's a shorter version. Maybe you're familiar with the version in Matthew where there's a, you might have thought, hey, it seems like there's a couple of lines missing. Well, that's the version in Matthew. You can go find that. And so this one is a little bit uh, more brief. Uh, but this, this is one of those passages, I think, where there is a real danger in reading over it and moving on because it's so familiar. But it's truly an amazing passage when we really stop and think about what's happening here. Because right here, what we have are the very words that Jesus himself prayed to the Father. Think about it. Jesus has just gone off and he's been in prayer communing with the Father one-on-one. And he comes back and the disciples say, teach us how to pray. Implying, teach us how to pray the way that you pray. And so Jesus goes, okay, pray like this. I mean, have you ever wondered what Jesus said in his prayers to the Father when he would get up far before the sun rose in the morning to go to a desolate place to pray, like we read about in Mark 1.35, for example? Well, we don't have to wonder because it's right here in front of us. Jesus tells us, which is amazing. This, the Lord's Prayer is a, mo- is a model or a guide. It, it's not meant to be recited in robot-like fashion without thinking about what we're saying. It's more like an outline or the, the skeletal structure of prayer. Jesus is teaching us principles. He's not giving us a, a rigid script. And these are the kinds of things that Jesus was talking to the Father about as he prayed in secret with him. So because this prayer is a guide for how we ought to pray, I wanted to give you what I hope will be a, a helpful outline to aid in remembering these principles so let me give you that outline, and then we're going to walk through it one principle at a time. It's this. It's pause to reflect, praise God for who He is, prioritize the kingdom of God, and present your petitions. Pause to reflect, praise God for who He is, prioritize the kingdom of God, and present your petitions. So Jesus begins this prayer with an address. Father. And too often, we rush into prayer without taking a moment to pause to reflect upon who we're talking to. Interestingly, Jesus does not begin the Lord's Prayer with an address like, Sovereign King or Almighty God. Those two things would be true, right? God is a sovereign king. He is an Almighty God. It would not be incorrect to address Him as Sovereign King or Almighty God. God. But Jesus, in this model prayer, when the disciples ask him, how do we pray, he chooses the word, the, the, the address, Father. I had the privilege last year of having lunch in the West Wing of the White House, um, and it's one of the most secure places I've ever been in my life. It feels like you're on the set of a movie. It's, it's really incredible. And, you know, I, I, I've thought often about, back to that experience, and if, if any average Joe were just to walk into the White House and, in, and want to go into the Oval Office to talk to the President, uh, he would be stopped very swiftly. 
Uh, there are multiple checkpoints along the way. There's just no way that some dude's going to walk in off the street and walk into the Oval Office to talk to the president. It's not going to happen. But it would be an entirely different story if this, this guy wasn't just an average Joe, if he were the president's son. Yes, the president holds a powerful office and he's heavily guarded, but the nature of the relationship to the president changes everything. If it's the president's son, all of a sudden, there's an open door to walk in and see him and speak with him. It is true that God is holy and that our sin separates us from God. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have access to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and then he rose from the dead and by his blood we are forgiven and adopted as sons and daughters of God. That's what scripture tells us. So we can come to him into his presence and address him as father and we don't have to feel an ounce of guilt or shame about it. We don't have to be timid about that at all. We're more than welcome to come into his presence and say, Father. We can freely come to him at any time because as our father, he cares for us and he wants to meet our needs. Do you know God as your father? Some of you maybe have had, when you, when you hear that term father, uh, maybe you didn't have a good example of an earthly father growing up. Maybe uh, that word, even when you hear me say that word, it brings up you know, bad connotations in your mind. But I want you to know that God is a good father. God is a loving and attentive father. He's not an absent father. He's not an abusive father. He's not a busy father that doesn't have time for us. He is a good, attentive, patient, loving, kind father who always provides for us, who always cares for us, who will never turn us away. That's the kind of father that God is. So do you know him like that? If you don't, man, I would encourage you to take the opportunity this morning to repent of your sin and to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation. You can know him as your father today. Maybe you feel far from God. Maybe you feel distant. Maybe you feel like there's this guilt and shame in your life because you know you haven't been living right. You know you've been living in the ways of the world. You've been going out drinking. You've been sleeping with somebody outside of marriage or whatever it is that you've been doing, but you feel the sense of guilt that's weighing you down. You feel separated from God. You don't have to feel that way anymore. God will forgive you of your sin if you'll call upon him. If you will repent and believe the gospel that Jesus died for for you and rose from the dead, you will be saved. And you can come into his presence without guilt or shame. I urge you to do that this morning if you haven't made that decision. And for those of us who have made that decision, for those of us who are believers in this room, it is so important for us to pause to remember who God is and how we are to relate to him when we pray. Because intimacy in prayer starts with a proper understanding of how God relates to us. I recently emerged from one of the hardest and most stressful three months of my life. We spent uh, all summer in Hungary adopting three children. And my prayer life and my quiet times, to put it politely, were inconsistent. Oftentimes, like there were days on end where I had, I had no time to pray 
or read the Bible, let alone think. We were in a 500-square-foot apartment in a foreign place with three children who've been through a lot of trauma in their lives, and they were going off the walls, and it was sun up to sundown nonstop. And I mean, there were times where I was just broken and just no strength left. One time, I remember like 10 days in calling Thomas, and I like wept for 30 minutes on the phone with him. Just wept. Didn't have anything left in the tank. And you know, heading into this week, I was tempted to question how I could possibly preach a sermon on prayer when I feel like I've been so inconsistent in it. But I... But as I began studying this passage, the Lord encouraged me with the reminder that when I pray, I'm talking to my Father who loves me and cares for me and wants to provide for me. God actually wants us to come to Him in weakness and utter dependence. Did you know that? Like he wants you to come to Him in that. So often we tend to view spiritual disciplines like prayer as a, as a burden to put on our backs. It's, it's a thing that we do for God so that God will... will be proud of us, or so that God will be pleased with us. And when we aren't doing it consistently, or or we're not doing it well, we feel guilty. And then that guilt turns into shame, and that shame keeps us from God. It's this vicious cycle that just goes around and around and around. But church, prayer is not a burden that we strap on our backs. In fact, it's the opposite. Prayer is the very way in which we take the burden off our backs and put it into the hands of our Father, who cares for us. Prayer is not an obligation to meet, it's an invitation to rest. Prayer is not an obligation to meet, it's an invitation to rest. Are you viewing prayer in your life as an obligation? Or are you viewing it as an invitation from your Father who cares for you to come to Him and to rest? If you've been carrying prayer around like a burden on your back, Jesus is inviting you to take it off this morning and to come to God as your Father. He loves you, He cares for you, and He wants to meet your needs. Jesus begins this prayer by encouraging us to pause to reflect, Father. And then He urges us to praise God for who He is. That next line says, Hallowed be your name. You know, the Lord's Prayer, it's interesting, it doesn't start out with a list of things to ask God for, does it? Jesus instructs us to begin praying by fixing our eyes on God. That word hallowed means to be set apart as holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're, we're praying that the name of God and all that it represents would be honored and revered by everyone as he rightly deserves. So we're saying, God, may your name be set apart as holy in my life and in the lives of the people that I know and in, and in our city and among all the nations. May your name be set apart as holy. May people know you and worship you as you deserve. That's what we mean when we say, hallowed be your name. But too often, our prayers are centered around making requests to God or thanking God for what He's given us. And don't get me wrong, those are both good things. God, as we're going to see, He's going to invite us to come and make our requests known to Him. And it's good to thank God for the ways that He provides for us. But I want to encourage you this morning to discipline yourself to spend time in prayer simply praising God for who He is. How often do you do that? Don't move on too quickly to requests and to thanksgiving. Just, just think about what my relationship with my wife would be like if the only time I ever talked to her was to ask her to do something 
or to thank her for something she had done for me. Hey, can you wash the dishes? Hey, thanks for making dinner. Like, if if that was all our conversation consisted of, that would not result in a very healthy relationship long term, would it? No, that's a recipe for a super unhealthy relationship. I need to be able to communicate things to my wife like, you are so gracious and kind. Or you are such a great mother to our children. You are so beautiful. I'm just just telling her things I love about her. I'm just telling her things that I see about her that are true. She is beautiful. She is a great mother to our kids. She is gracious and kind. And she needs to hear that from me. It's, it, it brings pleasure to her to hear that from me. And it's good and right for us to pray in that way to God. God, you are glorious. God, you are beautiful. God, you are righteous. God, you are just. Many Many Christians, I think, are so conditioned to focus on their own needs that they've lost sight of the reality that prayer is primarily about getting God, not getting things from God. Prayer is about getting God, not getting things from God. And Jesus teaches us here that prayer ought to start by fixing our eyes on Him and on His goodness. One way you can practically do that, if you have a hard time and you're like, man, I just... I struggle, I start to stutter, I don't really know what to say. One of the things I'd encourage you to do is start praying with an open Bible. Read through a passage and then spend time praising God for what you see about Him in that passage. Right? So just, what do I see is true about God in here? And then start your time of prayer by just praising God for the things you see about Him in that passage. And then move on to presenting your requests and your thanksgiving and so on and so forth. So pause to reflect on who it is that we're, that we're praying to. Praise God for who He is and then prioritize the kingdom of God. The next line, Jesus says, Your kingdom come. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. So the kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. So when we pray Your kingdom come, we're praying for God's rule and reign to be extended in our lives and in the hearts of other people. So the kingdom of God is it's already here and it's not yet here. There's an already and a not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God whenever he began his earthly ministry. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he raised the dead. All of these things were signs pointing to what life will be like when he reigns over the new heavens and the new earth. And the kingdom of God is also present right now in the church. So as God's people, as the church, we live under God's rule and reign together. And we love one another and we strive to live godly lives as we seek to be his witnesses to a lost world around us. But there's also a sense in which the kingdom of God, we're still waiting for the consummation of the kingdom of God. Because the day has not yet come where every single knee is bowing and every single tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day will come. It's not here yet. Right now, there are thousands of people right here on Capitol Hill who are not living under the rule and reign of God in submission to Him. They're rebelling against God. There are thousands of people groups around the world with literally zero Christians No people living under the rule and reign of God in submission to Him. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the success of the gospel. 
were praying that people would repent of their sin and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're praying for Jesus' return. We're praying for that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're praying for that day when, when creation will be restored to its fullness, when injustice and evil will be vanquished, where there's no more crying or pain anymore and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We're praying for that day to come. One of the clear implications for our lives here is that we must pray for the success of the gospel here in D.C. We can't make Jesus known in D.C. or around the world with our savvy planning. We must pray. It's only by God's powerful hand that any of that is going to happen. We have an impossible mission statement in our own strength. There's no way that we can do this in our own strength. We can't. We need God. We desperately need God move if Jesus is going to be made known in D.C. or around the world. We can't convert somebody. We can't convince somebody to become a follower of Jesus. That's a miracle. It's called regeneration. Jesus said you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. I can't cause somebody to be born again. Only God, by the power of His Word, can do that. So we must pray. We must pray. Paul demonstrates this over and over in his letters. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he writes this. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored just as it happened among you. We should never forget that we are dependent upon God for everything, including the success of the gospel. And I'll just, I'll just ask you, do the contents of your prayers reveal that you prioritize the kingdom of God? Are you praying that way? Are you praying for the success of the gospel in the lives of people you know? Are you praying for the success of the gospel in Washington, D.C. and amongst the nations, especially the unreached peoples? Again, it's not wrong or selfish to pray for your needs. In the next line, Jesus is going to invite us to do that. But I've been, I've been to prayer meetings before where, by the way people pray, you wouldn't even know that God had a kingdom. It's just all about, like, me and my needs. I would encourage you to begin specifically praying for God's rule and reign to be extended. If we want Jesus to be known in D.C. and around the world, we must pray. Jesus calls us to pause to pray, then to praise God for who He is, to prioritize the kingdom of God, and then to present our petitions. To present our petitions in verses 3 and 4. And there's, there's three different kinds of things that Jesus invites us to pray. Three different, I guess, you know, categories that Jesus invites to pray for. He invites us to pray for provision, for pardon, and for protection. Let's look at verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. This is just a way, it, Jesus is not just saying this is, you can only pray for food. This is covering all of our basic necessities, our daily needs. And isn't it amazing that though God is holy and He rules over all things and He encourages us to pray that His kingdom would come, there's, there's so many things that are so much bigger than us happening out in the world and yet God cares 
for all the little things in your life, even down to your daily provision of food, and invites you to pray for it. You know, oftentimes, I think we're tempted to, to only resort to prayer in times of crisis. But this is a prayer for basic daily provision. It's an acknowledgement that everything that we have comes from God. We have food on the table and a roof over our heads because God provides it. And I'll just tell you guys, in our context, I mean, we, we're wealthy. If, you're in a, if you live in the United States of America, you are wealthy according to the world standards. And we have to fight to remember this, that everything that we have comes from God. Because, boy, how easy is it for us to begin to just kind of think, well, I don't need to pray for my daily bread. I'm going to have it anyways. I'm a hard worker. I've got a good, I mean, I've got a really good resume. Even if I lost my job, I could just go and get another one. I mean, hey, and we've got government services, so like even worst case scenario, the, the government would take care of me. No, no, everything that we have comes from God, and we can't forget that. It's easy for us to. We've got to fight against that. I think it would do, do us well to renew a focus on praying for these basic daily needs because it helps remind us that all we have comes from God's hands. I mean, practically, one of the ways that we can do that is, is to, if you're not doing so already, pray before your meals or after your meals. And, and when you do that, don't just go through the motions. I mean, I think so often, I'm guilty of this too, guys. I really am. Like, just throw up the, the obligatory prayer so that we can get to the food, get to the eating. There's tacos in front of me. Let's get this prayer over with so I can get those tacos in my belly, right? Like, that's we, how we approach it sometimes, right? But man, let's just take a second to pause and remember, like, we have this meal in front of us because God has blessed us. There are other places around the world where food is not readily available. Why is it that we live in a place where it is? Because of God's grace. That's the only reason. So meditate on the fact that you have food on the table because God provided it. Make that a regular practice in your life. And Jesus also invites us to pray for pardon. This is one of the most amazing parts of this, of this prayer, I think. He says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So God invites us to come to him and to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. And he invites us to do this because he delights in dispensing forgiveness. Like God wants to forgive your sins. He's, you don't have to twist his arm to do so. He's not like, ah, I don't really want to do this, but if you'll twist my arm and you'll do some good works and maybe if you are good this week, you'll convince me and I'll forgive them. No, he wants to forgive sins. He's inviting us to just come and ask him right here in the Lord's Prayer. Now, this doesn't mean that our salvation or our standing with God is dependent upon asking for forgiveness every time we sin. Jesus died on the cross to cover all of our sin, past, present, and future. So if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then all of your sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. It was paid for. But we're invited to come to God asking for continual forgiveness, and we should come to God asking for continual forgiveness, because while sin will not undo your salvation, it does disrupt your enjoyment of God and your fellowship with God. Sin will still introduce guilt and shame. So we're invited to come to God seeking forgiveness, and the implication is that we always receive it when we come with a sincere and repentant heart. 
Psalm 51.17 says, God will not reject a broken or repentant heart. What an amazing promise. Will not. There's no conditions in that statement. If you have a broken and contrite heart over your sin and you come to God and ask for forgiveness, He's not going to turn you away. Period. That's an amazing reality. The best illustration I can think of for this is my relationship with my children. If one of my children disrespects or disobeys me, I may be very upset with them. But they're still my child. I still love them. That won't change. Their status of their relationship with me hasn't changed. But their disobedience disrupts the fellowship or the enjoyment that we have with one another, right? There's, kind of, there's something between us right now. But nothing melts my heart more or draws out my compassion more than when they come to me with a sincere look and say, I'm sorry, Daddy. And they reach out their arms and want to give me a hook. Like, I'm, I'm undone at that point. Like, they're getting that forgiveness. I'm not going to, I mean, I can't say no. And that's how God, our Father, sees us. When we sin, if you're a believer, you, when, you, when you sin, like, sin is still evil. It's wicked. It's what put Jesus on the cross. But if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you are a child of God. And he sees you in much in a similar way that we see our own children. Yes, we get upset with them when they disrespect us or disobey us, but they're our child and we love them. And we're going as soon as they reach out for reconciliation, like they've got it, right? That's how God sees us as followers of Jesus. So you never have to let sin keep you from communion with God. Just repent of it and then come to him and confess it, and he's more than ready to receive you. Don't let Satan lie to you and tell you that because of your sin, you can't come to God in prayer. It's one of the biggest things that keeps us from prayer is guilt. Well, I can't pray. We, we just get this sense that, like, I, I can't come into God's presence I feel dirty. I have all this sin on me. And so it just keeps us away from God and it keeps us from prayer. And it'll keep us from things like going to church and fellowshipping with other Christians. I see as a pastor, I've seen it happen over and over again in the lives of people where guilt keeps them away from God. It pushes them from prayer and it pushes them from fellowship with God's people. But Jesus right here is telling us, you don't have to do that. Just go to God and confess your sins and he will forgive you of your sin. Now, having said all this, there is a condition of sorts attached to this position, uh, to this petition. Did you see that? For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So there is an assumption that if we have received such amazing grace from God, we will also extend that same grace to others. It doesn't mean that you can earn God's forgiveness by forgiving other people. But what it does mean is that forgiven people forgive people. If you are truly a recipient of God's mercy, then you will desire to extend forgiveness, not to hold grudges or to harbor bitterness. Today would be a great time to examine your own heart here. If it, I mean, just ask yourself, is there some, someone that I'm having a hard time forgiving? Is there someone that I'm refusing to extend grace and mercy to? And then ask yourself, why? If, did I deserve the forgiveness and the mercy that I've received from God? No, of course I haven't. So then how could I uh, you know, withhold somebody to a completely different standard than God holds me to? How could I withhold this grace that I've been a free recipient of? 
If that's you this morning, then I'd encourage you to confess that to God and ask him to help you change. Lastly, Jesus invites us to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, specifically spiritual protection. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that God will tempt us. James chapter 1 makes it clear that God never tempts us to sin. This is a prayer asking God to protect us from succumbing to temptation and sin. And the only person who will pray a prayer like this, who will pray, lead us not into temptation, is someone who understands that left to our own devices, we will walk straight into sin every time. Uh, One of my favorite hymns is, Come Thou Fount. And uh, probably my favorite line in Come Thou Fount is, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lead us not into temptation is the cry of people who are horrified at the thought of falling back into the sin from which God has saved us. Our sin is the very thing that nailed our Savior, Jesus, to the cross. So how could we possibly be casual about indulging in it once again? How could a lover of God get enjoyment from the very things that God hates? That's why those who love the Lord cry out earnestly, God, lead me not into temptation. Please, protect me from temptation. Protect me from sin. I don't want to go after these things of the world. I want you. I don't want those things. Is that that the posture of your heart? Do you pray like that? Do you have a growing love for God and a growing detest for sin? A growing hatred for the things that, that keep you from God? We're completely dependent upon God for our sanctification. We, we need to ask Him for help to lead us not into temptation. And we're invited to do so here. God will help us grow in Christ-likeness when we ask Him. So Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, He gives them the model prayer, but I want to close by, by showing you the two encouragements that Jesus gives in verses 5 to 13 because I think these are important to cover. The first encouragement that Jesus gives is that God is approachable, so come boldly. And he, he communicates this by, telling, by uh, telling a parable to encourage us to come boldly to God in prayer. Uh, look at verses 5 to 10 again. So he tells this story of, he says, Which of you who, if uh, you had a friend come over to your house at midnight and uh, needed some hospitality, needed some food, which of you would go to your neighbor's house and say in the middle of the night, Hey, I, I need three loaves of bread. Uh, can you help me out? I've got a visitor that's come over in the middle of the night. And the guy says, Hey, look, I'm already asleep. Don't bother me. I don't have any bread for you. And, but, but, but then finally he decides, Okay, whatever, you've already woken me up. I'm going to give you this bread that you asked for, not because you're my friend, but just because you have the audacity to actually come over to my house at midnight and knock on my door and wake me up and ask me for bread. So to understand this parable, there's a couple of important cultural things to explain. First of all, hospitality was a really, really big deal in this part of the world at this time. If somebody came and visited you on a journey, it was your obligation to serve that person and to meet their needs. Secondly, uh, houses were like one room, okay? There wasn't like a master suite, and then the kids had their own bed, so everybody slept in their own bed. So if you went to your neighbor's house in the middle of the night to knock on his door and ask him to get up and give you something, you were going to wake up the whole family. Anybody know how hard it is to get kids to go to bed? Not easy to get your kids to go to bed, okay? So 
This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, imagine that a friend shows up at your house in the middle of the night. You have nothing to set before him. You now have a decision. You have a dilemma. You can either be rude and refuse to give him anything, or you can go and you can ask your neighbor. But your neighbor is asleep, and his children are asleep too. And if you knock on his door, you're going to wake all of them up. And so you go and you knock on, your, on his door and tell him, hey, a visitor's arrived, I need some bread. And in this parable, the neighbor responds not because he's his friend, but because of the boldness of the one asking. He gives him the bread because of the audacity he had to actually knock on the door at midnight. It took some nerve to do something like that, right? Now just think about this. Just think about the parable that Jesus is telling. Jesus told this parable because God is inviting you to come to him with the same audacity in prayer. That is bananas when you really stop to think about it. If we, if we were in that position, we'd be prone to say, oh, I don't want to bother my neighbor. I better not ask. He wouldn't like me coming over very late. I'd probably upset him because I'd wake up his children. I'm, I'm just not going to ask. And Jesus is essentially saying here, he's saying, don't be shy. Come on in. Wake me up. I don't care if it's the middle of the night. Come to me boldly. I'm not going to turn you away. That is amazing. God's not going to get annoyed that you're asking him for too much. He's not limited in his strength or in his capacity to meet needs. He doesn't get stressed out because he has too much to do. God is limitless. We can come to him at any time. We have an open invitation to come boldly before the throne of Almighty God with our requests. Now, is this an invitation to ask God for whatever pops into our heads? God, I'm going to come and boldly ask you for a Lamborghini. No. It's an invitation to pray boldly in line with the Lord's Prayer that Jesus... Jesus just taught us how to pray, right? He just gave us the outline. He just gave us the principles for prayer. So we're praying boldly in line with the Lord's Prayer. He openly invites us to pray boldly. And then in verses 11... To 13, Jesus encourages us by reminding us that God is generous, so come expectantly. So we come boldly and then we come expectantly. And he pointed out that if your son asked for a fish, you wouldn't give him a poisonous snake. Or if he asked for an egg, you wouldn't give him a poisonous scorpion. That would be preposterous. You would never think of doing such a thing because you love your children. If a child asks his or her father for a basic need like food, then we're going to do everything within our power to meet that need. So, Jesus says, if a sinner like you, so thanks, thanks Jesus, you know, if you who are evil, he like lays it out on the table, he's not like hiding how he feels, right? No, he's, he's telling the truth. He's saying, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give us everything good that we need? And he specifically says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, which emphasizes that I think that God is especially eager to meet our spiritual needs. Yes, he meets our material needs, but he's even more eager to help us fight off temptation or to encourage us when we're faint or to increase our faith when we're doubting. Like, 
he is more than willing. He is ready and waiting for you to come and call upon him in the day of trouble and he will hear you like Psalm 86, 6 and 7 said earlier. It's an open invitation, guys. The picture that verses 5 to 13 paints for us is that God is giving an open invitation to his people to come boldly before him to present our requests. And we ought to pray expectantly. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to close out um, our time of worship this morning. What we've learned this morning is that we're completely dependent upon God for everything, both materially and spiritually. If we're going to know Jesus and make Him known in D.C. and around the world, then we must commit to prayer, both on an individual level in our lives and corporately as a church. That's why we prioritize prayer in our church calendar. It's why we set aside the first and third Wednesdays of every month for a night of prayer and worship. We don't just do that because we're bored and we want to get together. We do that because we really believe that God is our Father who cares for us and who hears us and that we're desperately dependent on Him. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We must come together and pray. So, I want to specifically challenge you to do two things before we go this morning. First of all, I want to challenge and encourage you, encourage you to prioritize our corporate prayer gathering on your calendar. So on the first and third Wednesdays of the month, the next one is a week from this Wednesday. It's October the 6th. It's right here in this building. And don't miss the fact that when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer here, this is a community prayer. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? He says, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. In fact, when you look across the New Testament, the vast majority of the time when you see the church praying, the church is praying together. I mean, you start, just start to, next time you're, as you go and read through your Bible reading plan, start to notice that. The church is constantly praying together. So I want to challenge and encourage you to commit to that. And secondly, as we gather together to pray corporately, I want to challenge all of us that we prioritize what Jesus calls us to prioritize in our praying. Let's commit to spending time not just bringing our needs to God, but to devoting time to being still before God and praising Him for who He is. That's why we begin our prayer and worship nights by having a word of devotion from Scripture brought by one of the men of the church because scripture informs our praying and it and we're able to see what is true about God in his word so that we can praise him for that I'm going to close this in prayer and then uh, as after I do that the worship team is going to lead us in a closing song <clears throat> and then afterwards I'll come up and, and do the benediction and we'll uh, dismiss to a time of fellowship let me pray God thank you so much for your word uh, thank you so much for the gift of salvation and the gift of prayer. Thank you that you have adopted us into your family as sons and daughters. And that at any time we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. We can come boldly to you and commune with you. You invite us to do that. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as their father, that is not born again, that today they would believe that they would place their trust in you and come to know you as their father who loves them and who will care for them. God, I pray that you would do the miracle of regeneration in their heart. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.